You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. Welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. This is your host, Ben Wolf, and I'm, I'm pleased today that our guest is going to be speaking about how small business owners can get a grip on their numbers. Uh, I always remind you, as always, to subscribe, leave a review uh, that will make the content here more accessible to other people, make it more accessible to yourself in the future as well. So please uh, pause this for one second, subscribe, leave a review, like, comment, whatever it lets you do on the platform on which you are listening to or watching this. Uh, so with that, I will uh, tell you some information about our guest today, who is the founder and CEO of the Creatives CFO, uh, that's possessive, uh, which provides CFO bookkeeping and accounting services for women who are small business entrepreneurs. Uh, she was previously an accountant at a major firm for over 10 years. Uh, you can find out about her firm at the creativescfo.com. Again, that's creatives with an S, creatives, thecreativescfo.com. And I give you Dundrea Owens. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Ben. My pleasure, and I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. And and I want to ask you what I what I do to all my guests is give us a little context here. Give us like a quick two minute background story history on how you got from wherever you came before to to what you're doing now, the kind of work you're doing now. We're speaking about. Yeah, well, as you said, I worked for one of the larger national firms for over ten years, and during that time, uh, I got a little bit bored uh, with numbers. Numbers have always been my strong suit. Um, I, I love working with them, but at the same time, I needed something more tangible. And so I started doing a little bit of graphic design, which is far left <laughs> from accounting. Um, but it, I found it a lot of fun and I was designing wedding invitations and small business brands. And you can imagine that that opened me up to meeting other creatives in that space. Um, and what I found and working with them on those creative projects is that they didn't really have a good grip on their numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and whenever tax time rolled around, it was a real pain for them to pull everything together. And not only that, but they were taking their, the bookkeeping that they were doing and taking it to accountants who didn't really understand their business. Mm -hmm. um, they were used to brick and mortar and other service space, but not for creatives. And so after, you know, walking through that process with a couple of creatives, I decided to start my own business doing that very thing. And that's merging creative passions with uh, knowing the numbers. Right. And that's, well, look, I, there's, there's a couple aspects of that. I mean, I could relate to from, I mean, not, not having as extensive experience in the corporate world, but being five years in corporate law and yeah. then getting a little bored with that and started as one of my hobbies during that time, actually started writing books for a, a rabbi that I'm close to. So I just published in January, a third book for him, but um, so definitely appreciate that getting into another, another sort of form of art. But yeah. um, I guess if you could say a little bit more about like the, 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 whoever you consider your target market to be these business owners, these creatives, and I'm going to talk in a minute about what that means but uh, can you say a little bit more about what some of the main pain points are and the hardships or, or difficulties that they're going through so that people who are listening or watching can really, you know, if they're your target market, so to speak, like if they could see themselves in, in, right. in what you're in the pain points you're describing so that your message afterwards will resonate more. Yes. So with creatives, it's not just your graphic designers, photographers, people who do things, create, make and create things with their hands. It can also include coaches, 
um, other consultants who support those coaches or community mm -hmm. builders. They, it's really evolved to include lots of people in the online space, but who cater to that audience that is concerned about the way things look or who want to give an experience and whatever their program looks like, whether that's a course. Community builder, are you talking about like yeah. influencers or, or people like yes. Frank who introduced us? Those Both of them. Because mm -hmm. if you think about it, that huge audience is just as much of a community as one that's informative, like let's say a rising tide society. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked with influencers who have over 50,000 followers and those people are just as much of a community and, and really caring about what's going on. And because a lot of them do branch off and become coaches and have Facebook groups and really try and involve their, their people um, into what they're doing and create, like I said, those experiences, they fall into the realm of creatives as well. Okay. Yeah. And I guess how, do, how, does, how does this this like unique target market of creatives, like how does that differ from other kinds of small business owners? Yeah, I found that they think differently. So if we're talking about a traditional small business owner, they are very much focused on that thing that they do and doing that, that thing or delivering that product. And I mainly focus on service-based, mm -hmm. um, but they're thinking about that. And it's really that it's, it's not as entrepreneurial if I can say it that way. So it, it is a general service that is a necessity or a need and they provide it and then they're off to the next thing. So think in terms of, let's say like your plumbers or um, people who are generally service-based in that way. My people are more about how they're visually represented online, um, who is in their network and who they're associated with and what kind of experience they're creating for their clients and how can they contribute to the overall goal of that particular client. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. um, so let's say one of the coaches that I work with started out offering just a small education courses for people in the online space who wanted to be more visible online. From that, she developed a one-on-one -on -one coaching program for people who wanted to work more closely with her. From that, it turned into a group mastermind, a curated group of people who she had worked with one-on-one, -on -one, who she knew would be a good fit to have a network together. And it's, it's that sort of community building and being really intentional about who's in the audience and who's where in your, your programs that I see with the business owners I work with. And I'm curious, how, how do these more aesthetically oriented or community building oriented types of businesses differ, I guess, from a financial point of view, because that's how you're advising them. So like, I guess, how do they differ fin financially speaking from, from these other kind of business owners like plumbers or the examples you gave? Yeah. So the very first thing is that their profit and loss statement looks a lot different. So the things that they invest in are, are very different. They have higher advertising and marketing spends often. Um, you'll see them investing in themselves. So there's more education or consulting fees on their behalf. Um, they don't really tend to have employees most of the time. They will have contractors that they work with in different capacities as needed. And what we find with these business owners is that their profit margins are way higher than your typical service-based business owner. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because they're, they're able to operate with less overhead and they kind of pick and choose when uh, to bring on those additional expenses. And we're able to see the ROI a lot faster in these mm -hmm. businesses. Uh -huh. So they, they, okay. So, so the, so because of, because those differences in the type of business affect 
you know, how things run, even from a financial perspective, they just need a different kind of uh, financial yes. leadership and advice. Yeah. Um, and I understand from your website that women business owners or women creatives mm-hmm. are particularly your target market. Curious how or why that came about. Yeah. So the one thing I kept hearing in the very beginning when I started my business is that they were the women that I, I met were tired of being mansplained to. <laughs> I was so tickled by that because I've always been in the accounting industry, which is heavily male dominated. Um, So it was never an issue for me. And I guess because that's my expertise and I was comfortable in that space, it meant one thing for me. But for someone who's already uncomfortable with money and who might not have a clear understanding, um, it can sometimes feel overbearing. And what I wanted to do was to bring a different softness, so to speak, to the space mm-hmm. um, and not do that level of explaining, but to rather be a friend and hold a hand and say, you know, this is how we get to the next level to sort of restore their confidence and empower them to become the sole decision makers. Um, because we're talking about, you know, five years ago, especially when I would speak to some women, they had no idea what was going on in their business finances, but they also didn't know what was going on in their own personal finances. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a hands-off thing. And so I wanted to sort of aid and, and help women get more comfortable with money altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it sounds like you, it sounds like you have a different, it's a different approach working with your clients than I, do. I guess then than it, typical male accountants or CFOs or fractional CFOs do so that that enables you to be able to communicate in a way that I guess people can hear and they're not going to just not get the advice maybe because they're don't feel comfortable with the people who might be giving it. Yeah. You Um, know, I tell my clients that it is a judgment-free zone, you know, so, and no question is off limits. Mm -hmm. And with that, I model that behavior back to them. So when we're walking through the reports, I don't assume that they know anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm explaining the things and then we stop and we take a moment and I let them tell me what we're presenting means to them. So even if mm, we're going like to in their own words, in their own words, and that's how we get them more comfortable with talking about the numbers and understanding what they mean. And what we find over time is that once we've done that enough, the questions that our clients come to the table with, like it elevates. And so it's no longer those beginner level questions. We're in the intermediate, we're moving up to advanced. And right. I point that out to them along the way, you know, just so that they can, it can inspire confidence again. Right. They could be encouraged. Yeah. Um, and all right. So I guess now getting to, so that's, you know, kind of, I'd like to kind of set the, set the context for the advice that you can give in our conversation right now, which is, Okay, so that's the that's that's the kind of people you're talking to and the businesses that you're working with. What, what, you know, people unfamiliar with things. So, what do you do? How do you work as a fractional CFO for some of these smaller businesses or these creative businesses? How do you how do you work with your clients? What does it look yeah. like? You know, what, what what kind of so they can understand the resources that will be available to them with a fractional CFO like yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, if they would work with you, what does that look like? How do you serve your clients? Yeah. So at the lower level, so for the money manager package is what we call it. We work with those business owners to get a handle on what the numbers actually are. And so because a lot of the business owners we work with have actually unknowingly started businesses, meaning 
they are good at a thing. They started out maybe as a, in a freelance capacity. Mm -hmm. So we want to get them thinking like a business owner. Mm -hmm. And that means monthly reporting. And so we get them really comfortable there. We also teach them how much to pay themselves, how to save for taxes, how to save for reinvestment in the business. And that is the real focus there. And if how, we're hitting- How do you do that? Yeah. What is it, even more like brass tax? Is that like, yeah. like an so hour a month? Like what does that look like? Okay, so that is us doing the bookkeeping for them on a monthly basis. Um, okay, so we you, kinda, have, you have a staff of bookkeepers. That's yes. part of what you provide, okay. Right, so we there's a team of us um, and we do the, the monthly bookkeeping. We also come in mid-month and kind of do a check-in at that point. So what it looks like is us doing like a little mid-month uh, check-in on the bookkeeping. And then that way we can check in with those clients and say, here's the revenue goal that we set together. Here's where you are to that goal. Here's what's still to come. And we kind of let them give us feedback on whether it's likely at that point or if you know, they need something to make it happen. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just a communication checkpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of every month, we close out their books. We provide them with statements. Those statements show them how much the business brought in, what went out the door, and what was left. And so that, from a very uh, basic cash basis standpoint, they see all of that information. Mm -hmm. Now, from there, we do an extra step. We look for um, how they are going to allocate their profit. So we've got three buckets. Personal pay, because we want them always to be paying themselves from profit. Mm -hmm. Then we look at how much to set aside for estimated taxes for the quarter. And then we look at what to set aside for business savings. So we're kind of teaching them how to look at the money that they make mm -hmm. in the course of a month and where it falls into each of those buckets. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we give them metrics to pay attention to. And at that level, the core metrics are revenue because you must be making money and right. then profit margin because we want you to keep more than you spend. And then we're also looking at how much cash do you have on hand and how long would it sustain your business? And that key metric was everything as we've been going through the pandemic over the past year is knowing that that healthy number that they had going into that was able to sustain them through Right. And yeah. what do you, what do you tell them or teach people is the, is the right amount, I guess, of, of, of your monthly, I guess, how, how many months of your monthly expenses, you know, should you try to have set aside or I don't know how you, yeah. I mean, that's how you look at it. That what is you, exactly how we look at it. Yeah. So what do you so tell people? I tell people one to three months at this stage. So we start out with the first benchmark of one, because I like to do baby steps. If right. we're, We've got to get to the at least one at first. Right. If you tell me three months, it just seems so out of reach. Exactly. Right. And you're forever trying to get to that goal. But we'll start out at one month. And then from there, we move to two. Then we move to three. And the only time that number, you know, changes that at any point is if your expenses are, you know, drastically low and we see we're over accrued, then it might be just additional funds that you have to reinvest. But right. we're really flexible on that. But one to three months is ideal at this stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, and you mentioned that's the lower level. What, what other mm -hmm. level do you have? We also have the virtual CFO and that is where I function most like a CFO. Um, in that space, we are doing weekly bookkeeping. We send weekly flash reports that have all the key metrics that that business owner and I have sat down and thought were most important for their goals. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a monthly call and it's an hour long call. And we're talking through those reports. Something happened to my screen there. Okay. 
be but yeah. reacting to that. Anyway. Yeah, it's okay. But uh, yeah, we also have a, a monthly call and it's an hour long call where we're, we're talking through the report. We're talking through what we anticipated was going to happen for that month versus what actually happened. Mm -hmm. We're talking about future needs for forecasting out about three months at a time. Um, and yeah, it, it's just a, a lot more interaction in between. And for that one, sometimes it spills over into the personal because one thing about these business owners is that they are in business to support their lifestyle and it's only natural that we're going to talk about the personal because we have to know what their personal needs are to sort right. of set the goals for the business. So we approach it from that direction as well. Right. Now, would you, would you mind sharing some stories, some examples? I think, I think it would help for business owners, particularly ones for, for my audience, if you have people who do have, whether it's employees or a number of yes. contractors working for them. But you be able to share some stories as much detail as you can, just to make it clear, like, I guess how people might bring in a fractional CFO, what that looks like, what it was like before, what it was like after what happened. Yeah. Yes. So the first one that comes to mind is an agency owner um, who produces podcast and the thing that like they do the editing and absolutely like that. Okay. So yeah. Media, Mm -hmm. So they've got multiple clients that they're servicing and it is a recurring service. And then they've got multiple people on the team. They actually have some employees and those people are subcontractors. They're actually doing a bit of the work. Um, and this is where I see the CFO role being super helpful because not only are they managing the actual operations of their business, they are also managing that process getting done. And there's a cost associated with that. And that cost can determine the price of the service. And that's where a CFO can really help because if it costs you to pay other podcast editors, um, a copywriter, anything that you might offer in that package, you've got to know what those costs are to be able to properly price that service for profitability. Right. So that's one of the places the CFO comes in. The other is after you've, you've done that and you've got your cost of services figured out, you know the pricing of your offer. Now let's look at the operations of the business. Who's essential to running that business? How are you marketing your services? You know, paying attention to, are you running ads or is it all by word of mouth? Well, how can we capitalize on that? You know, and keep costs low at the same time. So it's looking at all of the expenses, what produces an ROI, and that ROI can be money or it can be time. And the CFO actually looks at that as well. Or I, as a CFO, look at that for my clients. Um, because uh, it's you not, figure in their investment, you figure out yes. what the time they're putting in, you put like a dollar amount to that? Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. So we you go through that. You know, so I, I'm, like I said, I'm a numbers person and I actually look at this for myself. I come from the billable hour world. Right. Where every yeah every point one was taxed. So yep. we did. A, <laughs> I'm a lawyer, right? We did point one. Ten, yeah. Six minutes. Boom, boom, exactly. boom. Exactly. Hated so, it. So I hated it, but it it has really helped in this capacity with clients. I feel like it gives me a leg up. But um, mm -hmm. we have them go through time tracking for a week, and let's see what you're currently spending your time on. And if you're telling me you want to bring on, let's say, a VA or an executive assistant and you're going to pay them this amount. Okay, well, if you do that, this is how much time it needs to save you. And then we see how right. well that's converting because, you know, and it's not always- How do you put a dollar amount on their time? Do you look at what on they their bill? Time. We look at what they bill per mm -hmm. client. 
And then we look at the pricing of the offer. So there's, there's that component as well. We've actually had one of our CFOs decide to step out of certain parts of the process because she's just, her billing rate is much too high for it. Right. Yeah, yep. And she's replaced herself with someone much cheaper who she's taught her own methodology for doing that particular thing. And right. she's able to get her time back and now she sells more. So it's knowing where the CEO needs to be to be most right. profitable. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Like in EOS, we teach about the concept of delegate and elevate as being yeah. a, a, key, a key tool. And so it's delegate, you know, things that you could delegate so that you could elevate to your own unique ability that what you love doing and you're great at. And yeah. like you're saying that you could make more money at. Yeah. If I could sell if I could sell clients and, you know, it's worth a lot more than the, you know, 15, 25, 35, whatever I'm paying somebody else. Right. Exactly. Um, that's great. And so what happened with the, with the podcast business? What, what, I guess, what were, what were you, what results were you able to come from? To get for them. I guess the, the yeah. work you did with them. So one of the very first things is having that business owner look at the pricing structure and it was all wrong. And she saw mm -hmm. very quickly, it was a very quick sale. Once you've got someone looking at what those numbers actually are and saying, you would have to work this, this hard to meet the goal that you're wanting to meet and you really don't have to. There's a demand for your services. This is a reasonable price in the market. You and mind this me is asking what, what was the pricing model before and then what yeah. was after? So the pricing model before was, for lack of a better term, it was pretty cheap. Um, it was entry level, but her services were anything but entry level uh -huh. uh, for the work that she was doing. So I think we had three packages there and I wanna say the highest package might've been a thousand. For what, the, for like for an episode a week or something? No, so for, for that $1,000 pack, exactly. That, those are my thoughts though. For that one, that one package, it was a whole month's worth of episodes. So four to five episodes edited. Uh -huh, for a thousand. Way too much. <laughs> Way too much work. Wow. <laughs> so we've, we looked at the market, of course, because we will pull competitors and see what they're pricing their service at. And then we also look for differentiators. So in that way, we put a little bit of the marketing spin on there. What helps set you apart from the others? Mm -hmm. And is that a marketable thing? Would people pay additional for that? And for her, it was having that copywriter who focused on sales copy. Because right. one of the things that her clients are always looking for is ways to repurpose content. And that person on her team allowed her to take them a step further without having to spend additional um, on their own teams uh, for her clients. So right. looking at the pricing. So we more than doubled her pricing for mm -hmm. that top tier package. Yeah. And then we also looked at the packages underneath with, which were you know less robust and price those in line with that top tier package. So that's the way we right. approached it. But you find the, the, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Ahead. No, oh, no, at the same time, we made sure that each level for the level of service they were getting was still at least 70% profitability at, at a gross profit margin standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so that was the, the baseline for us there. Mm -hmm. Right. I guess, I guess one thing, uh, one thing that I think a lot of a lot of more junior entrepreneur a junior I don't know the right word entrepreneurs people you know who have who have not not become experienced 
at it is undervaluing themselves or the services that they or their company are providing. And so undercharging. Yeah. And I've, I've heard, and I know your target market is women. And I've definitely heard that from several women mm-hmm. um, that they, you know, they feel like that they, they, you know, I don't know, tend to yeah. undervalue or undercharge themselves. Yeah. There's uh, all really, sorts of reasons why, you know, yeah. there's the, the imposter syndrome. Like, I don't feel like right. I have enough experience or that I know enough or, or whatever these things. And they have raving, raving fans, raving right. clients. Um, and I still get some of those. Uh, then the other is projecting their own money mindset issues onto their clients, meaning I'm not sure that I would pay this or to someone else, but that doesn't mean that a person that you're pitching for your services, they might actually pay that. They might love to pay that, you know? Um, and then the other is just not having a handle on the numbers and knowing what you need to make to be profitable. And then right. looking at that in terms of your capacity and your time available to serve, you know, because that's a part too. So right. it's all of those reasons. Yeah, I hear. And I, I mean, I guess the truth is that in I, all the fractional leaders, all the fractional C-level executives that serve clients who I speak with, um, you know, some of the people do reach out to me like, hey, I'm looking into doing this or, or whatnot. And so I get in all these conversations and sometimes, sometimes I end up trying to uh, finding myself kind of selling people themselves and, right. you know, selling people and saying like, look, you're worth it. Like you have like, tw- like, yes, you're going, you're, you're only recently getting into this fractional leadership world, but you were a executive for 20 years like that, right. you know, and you did this, this, and this, like you've done a lot of really great things, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, that has a value for people. That's not like, you don't just find the laying around on the street. Like that's not right. common. Yeah. And so hopefully get people's confidence up in themselves. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you have any other mm-hmm. stories to share, I would love to hear that. Yeah. Well, in terms of getting their confidence up, one of the things that we do, and I'll, I'll give this example. We had a, a project manager um, who left corporate and was great, has great recommendations on LinkedIn. There's no reason why she should ever doubt herself. Um, but she wanted to, to come into the market offering a really low price and just sort of get her feet wet. And very quickly, I think she signed a three-month retainer at this low rate. Mm-hmm. But very quickly, I want to say within the first month, she realized that she was bringing her best self to the table and doing all of this work and not being paid for it. <laughs> so right. it was an easy sell for her after that because she now saw herself in this place and working this many hours and her client was very satisfied, but she was feeling like she had shortchanged herself. And so right. we see that a lot, especially as we go through um, price increases in businesses, because it is a natural thing that happens as your business grows and your experience grows, um, your price change, print can change. Right. And so getting people comfortable with saying that higher price, I even have an exercise where I say, this is the new price, go stand in the mirror and say it until you get comfortable. Get comfortable saying that number because sometimes that's all it is. They've never said that number before. Right. And you know, it feels a little uncomfortable, but yeah. We do all sorts of little mind tricks to get right. people comfortable with numbers because it's a scary place for some. It is. It's. It's. Uh, it. It is scary, and I've. I've. I've noticed. And and sometimes you have to. 
And sometimes you have to be willing to stand up for it a little bit. Like they might fight you once on it. It doesn't. Okay. And so you have to be willing. And I guess it's, it does require a certain amount of bravery. You have to be willing to walk away. Like you say, okay, you know, I totally understand. I'll help you, you know, recommend you somebody else, you know, within your price range, you could help. You have to be willing to say that. Right. Uh, if you are, very often they'll still pay it, but you have to be willing. Sometimes they'll like at least challenge you once just to see if they can. Yeah. And- yeah. So we have this, this motto over here that whatever the, the price is, is what it is. You know, we don't change it. And with that, we also are protecting the scope of the work that our clients do for their clients. So when we're setting these pricing structures, we're also looking at what's included. And like I said, we're pricing the highest tier offer and then making sure that the others are in alignment and with their core audience. And so, and so we try to tell them when you change the price, the services have to have to change. Are you willing to change the services? Well, then don't change the price. And we found that our clients are really stuck on getting their clients that result and they don't want to change the services because right. it will change the result for them. How did you, you had that client you mentioned a minute ago who mm-hmm. was charging this very, very low retainer. Yeah. How, how did you, how did you even get in the door with her? Meaning how was she yeah. willing to value herself enough to say, I'm going to hire a fractional CFO. Yeah. Like, so that she's, yeah. you're, so that you're even having a conversation with her. Obviously she has to value herself enough to yeah. realize she needs that expertise and will be willing to invest in herself and her business. So right. how did that happen? Referral. Uh-huh. It's a huge source for us. We work with one business owner who has a network of other business owners that they work with and they talk about us. They talk about the experience that they've had and what they've been able to do in their business as a result of that. And so we get people who want those similar results for themselves and they believe that we can get, get it for them. And, and I'll say 90% of the cases we do. And in those that we don't, we know exactly who to refer them to, like what services they actually need. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. And look, again, people can reach out to uh, Dondrea Owens at thecreativescfo.com. That's thecreativescfo.com. You can get in touch with her. Uh, you can get in touch with, uh, you know, of course, you can take the lessons here, reach out to any fractional CFO. You could go to my web, my website, which is launching uh, uh, fractionalleadership.io, subscribe to my email list. Uh, and keep it, you know, up to date on fractional leadership news and information, uh, and also be able to find fractional uh, leaders of all types in that way. Uh, but again, you could reach out to Dondrea Owens at thecreativescfo.com, and just super appreciate you coming on and uh, and you know and joining and sharing information about what you do and how you help people. Awesome! Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Thank you. Appreciate it. All the best, and see everybody else on the other side. Bye bye. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.